This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's gone! Oh, no! It's gone! Snow has homered, and we are tied! That was one of J.T. Snow's biggest moments, the 2000 NLDS ninth-inning home run to tie the Mets. But there's more to it than just a swing of the bat. He was a pinch hitter that game. Wait till you hear how he warmed up. That moment and many more as we go inside J.T. Snow's Giant Moments now. Now. This is Inside Giant Moments. Presented by Oracle. Our franchise has countless memorable, iconic moments. Join Mark Willard as he connects with our former players who lived these moments to relive the emotions, the stories, and the joy. JT Snow joins the Inside Giant Moments podcast. We've got a lot of really cool moments and memories here for sure. JT, it is awesome to have you. Thank you so much for doing it. My pleasure, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Are you ready to take this ride through? Uh, <laughs> through this has been your baseball life. <laughs> let's let's do it. I, I don't know how long it'll be, but let's do it and uh, it's be, <laughs> be fun to uh, you know talk about some old times and some good times. And there was there was a lot of them in the the candlestick and the Pac Bell era. So let's do it. Yeah, no doubt about it. You come to the Giants in in 1996 after three years with the Angels. And you were born in, in Angels territory. So at that time, what were your emotions in being sent? Well, there was there was kind of mixed emotions because um, if you think about it, I, I grew up in Orange County, um, born and raised in Seal Beach, went to Los Palmitos High School, then went to the University of Arizona. Um, the only baseball scholarship I had out of high school, by the way, I had one offer that was from Arizona. So that's where I went. Um, coaches took a chance on me there. So whenever I, I see them, I thank them uh, all the time for taking, for taking a chance on me and um, who knows where, where it would have ended up, but then signed with the Yankees out of college, minor leagues, single A, double A, triple A traded to the angels. I, you're a young player trying to get established. And I went back home, and then if you think about it, I've been away for three years of college and four years in the minor leagues, so I've been away from home. And you come back, and all your friends are showing up, and they're at the game every night. And I'm like, guys, this, you know, I'm trying to do a job here, and this isn't, uh, this isn't, you know, Tuesday night beer league softball where uh, <laughs> this doesn't matter. So, anyways, it it was it was hard, and I figured it out. Uh, after a couple of years going up and down and then um and then ended up was there for parts of four years and got traded to the to the Giants. Brian Sabian was the director of the minor leagues with the Yankees when I was there. Him and Brian Cashman ran the minor league system. And Cash is now in New York as a GM and Saves did such a great job in San Francisco. So he ended up trading me away to the Angels and then trading back for me to the Giants. So when I left the Angels, uh, I was a little 
you're, you're a little bummed out when you get traded because you think a team is giving up on you. But I remember my agent, my father telling me, you know, this, this new team wants you. And um, I got a chance to go to San Francisco and get away from, from all the noise and all my friends. And, you know, back, back then we had the old um, the answering machines at home, right? And I'd come home after a game in Anaheim. And I'd have, I'd have five, six, seven, ten messages from buddies after games, like every night. And, hey, that third at bat, you know, you're kind of pulling off the ball or how can you take a third strike looking? And it, it got really hard. I mean, it, um, so anyways, I thought getting traded to San Francisco was the best thing for me at that time in my career. Well, and the timing was good as well in that your first full year with the team, you guys win 90 games, make a big turnaround for the organization and make the playoffs. It was the first time the Giants had been in the playoffs since 1989 and the the earthquake in the World Series. So certainly a big stepping stone for for things that that were on the way. What, What do you remember specifically about that year in 1997? I remember a bunch of new guys. It was myself and Jeff Kent. Uh, Mark Lewis, Bill Miller, Daryl Hamilton. And, um, you know, I remember Dusty calling us all together in, in spring training and just we all had to stand up and introduce ourselves. And it was, you know, we possibly had five five or six guys in the starting lineup. and But we also had a lot of guys that had a lot to prove. I was traded. I had a lot to prove. Jeff Kent had a lot to prove. Rich Aurelia was going to be our shortstop. Jose Vizcaino was there. He got traded. So, we had a lot of guys that had a lot to prove, and I think it was a perfect time and just the perfect setting for that with Dusty leading us. And then we just kind of went along about our business, and I struggled for a while. I was in a new league, the National League, and a totally different league pitching-wise, more fastballs, uh, harder throwers. American League was more off speed. And uh, we, we look up in June, July, we're hanging around, and then Dusty came up with – you know, one of the greatest things of all time, and we come into the clubhouse one day on the board, he said, why not us? And that's what we bought into the rest of the year. He's like, why not us? No one believes in us. The Dodgers have more names, more firepower, bigger payroll, but, you know, why not us? We got six new guys in the lineup, and um, it was a really, really fun year, playing the candlestick and uh, just a bunch of guys, blue-collar guys that went out, every night and with a chip on their shoulder and we try to prove ourselves and then we end up, we end up winning the West. So it was super fun year. I I give a lot of credit to the way Dusty maneuvered us and handled us. And I give a lot of credit to the guy playing hard every night with something to prove. Uh, A lot of winning during those years, but you didn't quite break through and, and go on that that playoff run, but as you said, that group of guys, as they start to kind of blend together, did you have a sense even then that that some some really great moments were right around the corner? I, I think we did, and I think one of the things in the back of all of our minds is that there was going to be a new ballpark that was opening, and so we come in in 97, and we hear about this new ballpark downtown in 2000, and so um, you go back to 97 and one of the things I, I remember that, that the playoff system was not, was not a fair system because we won the West. We play the Marlins. They're the wild card. And in a five game series, we had to go to Florida for two and then home for three. And we ended up getting swept in, in Florida, right? We got to face Kevin Brown and Al Leiter and we're down Oh two. Now we come home, we lost the third game, but that was a, it since has changed the playoff um format 
but we were we had our backs against the wall, and there was no home field advantage. And then '98, we play a one game playoff against the Cubs. We have to go to Wrigley. We lose that. And '99, I believe we had a decent year. We lose to to the Diamondbacks. But we were all excited about going into the new ballpark, and everybody knew what was ahead of us. And we got a chance to tour it, get on the field, and um, so yeah, I think a lot of guys wanted to stay together. We wanted to go from Candlestick into Pack Bell, you know, on a high note. And I think that the organization really turned around from '96 because I think in '96 they ha- they might have had the most losses in baseball or at least in the National League, and they were reeling. So uh, we we felt part of that. We felt part of opening the new stadium and. Uh, welcoming in the new era of Giants baseball in 2000. Any member of the organization knows how important, how treasured the Willie Mack Award is. And uh, in that 97 year, you won your your first of two Willie Mack Awards in this uniform. What did that mean to you? When I first won it in 97, I didn't really understand what it meant. I thought it was just, you know, hey, here's an award for – good guy in the team that everybody likes and uh, I went through a lot that year because I, I was hit in the face in spring training by a Randy Johnson fastball and missed basically all of spring training and I stayed back a week and played in some minor league games but uh, I was determined to be there opening day and I wanted to be on that field opening day which I made and then um, after after I won the award which which is really special and it's it's voted on by the, the players the coaches and the trainers, and that's it. It's the guys in the clubhouse. So it really is a cool award. When I first won in 97, like like I said, I didn't think it was a big deal, but after that year, wherever I went, every, people in San Francisco and, and people that knew baseball congratulated me on winning the Willie Mack Award. And so, you know, it's presented by, it was presented by Willie himself. And you just realize what a cool award that was, a, a cool trophy, and then um, had the – you know, the opportunity to, to win that twice. And I think Mike Kruko and Benji Molina are the other, the two-time winners. But I was I was funny because I won in 97 and then they get an 04. So those guys won a back-to-back year. So I said, those guys were good teammates two years in a row. So I, I must have was a bad teammate for about six years and I won it again. So it was pretty funny. But, um, you know, I tell you what, I have a, at my office at home, those those awards are the first thing you see when you walk through the door in my office. They're right there on the wall, the, uh, the Willie Mack Awards. Love it, love it. Um, after 98, you gave up switch hitting. What was the thought process there? I had gotten hurt. I tore labrum in my, my right shoulder, and um, I couldn't hit right-handed. And I had been struggling right-handed. My numbers was always better left-handed, uh, naturally left-handed hitter, and so – um, I'd always thought of the idea that, you know, maybe I should give just lefty on lefty a try. And I went up to, I, I, I talked to a number of players before I did it on other teams, left-handed hitters. I, I, I talked to Mark Grace with the Cubs and Tony Gwynn with the Padres and Wally Joyner was a left-handed hitter and just different left-handed hitters and, Don Mattingly, who was still in the game, who I was behind with the Yankees. And they all said the same thing. If, if you can hit the ball the other way, if you can hit the ball to left center, then you, you'll be okay off left-handed pitching. So I gave it a shot. Uh, my playing time was kind of going down because I was hurt. I wasn't playing. So I talked to Dusty, and I worked really hard at it all offseason after 98. And um, 
he gave me some opportunities and I came through and, and so it was, it was something that I was going to get a day off anyways against tough left-handed hitters. So I figured as a switch hitter, which I think is the hardest thing to do in, in, in any sport, um, just to give up that right side and concentrate all on the left side. And it ended up working out. So I got, I got a little more playing time and my numbers got a little better. And um, I looked back and I was like, man, maybe I should have done this earlier. So, right. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you had conversations with, uh, with some people who probably had a wealth of knowledge. Like what, what did, what did Tony Gwynn say? Well, I, I talked to all these guys in spring training and then during the season of 98, basically just, you know, what, what I was saying earlier, if, if you hang in there and, and, you can hit the ball to left center. Most lefty on lefty guys that are strictly pull hitters are going to struggle because the left-handed pitchers, all these guys told me, you know, they're going to, they're going to run the fastball in and they're going to throw sliders away. They're not going to throw you change up just so you can eliminate that pitch, but you might get a curveball. So it's mainly just fastball curveball uh, slider. But if you can stay on the ball and hit it to left center, then you're going to be fine. So I, um, I worked really hard that off season and, and then that spring training, I would get there early to the, to the ballpark and they had the, the pitching machine set up on left-handed curveballs. And I would literally see 500 curveballs a morning, just track them out of the machine and just see the break, see the break. And then I would stay after with one of our uh, coaches, Ron Renicky, who's now going to be a Red Sox manager and he he was left and he would throw me bp every day on the backfield and throw some curveballs to me so i really got a lot of work and um yeah it, it, it worked out jt one of your most famous plays in a giants uniform took place in 1999 when you got carlos perez of the dodgers on the hidden ball trick is that something that you just try between you and the pitcher or is it more of an overall plan laid out by the team no, it was it was totally on me and something that I I'd always want to try. Uh, never tried it in in high school or college for the minor leagues, and it, it's something that you want it to work because if you don't, it looks kind of hokey. It looks kind of little leagueish. But um, yeah, Carlos Perez got an infield hit, hits first base, and he's he's high stepping down the right field line. And first base coach John Shelby for the Dodgers turns his back, and they go down and high five each other. And Felix Rodriguez is on the mound. And um, he looked at me, and I just threw him the ball in my glove. And we kind of winked at each other. So to pull that play off, the pitcher cannot be on the dirt part of the mound. He has to be on the grass. So he went behind the mound and grabbed the rosin bag, cleaned off his spikes with the little uh, And Perez came back first base and was so excited. Shelby was, you know, ah, two outs, you know, going anything. And so he just bounced off the bag. The umpire knew I had the ball because he was in on it. And I just reached over and tagged him. And they were both stunned. And uh, the, I don't think the crowd knew what was going on, but then they went wild and, and we actually pulled it off. So it, it was just probably the most nervous I've ever been on a play. Because if it doesn't work, like I said, it, it just doesn't look good. It took, a, it took a while. It took a couple minutes for it all to pan out. But that was something that was totally on me. Uh, Dodgers manager Davey Johnson, I, I saw the highlight. He was furious. He's waving his arms all over the place. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out what was – what was he so mad about? I don't. I don't know. I, I haven't seen that play in a long time, and uh, I have no. Maybe he was alerting that I still had the ball, but 
you have to remember Candlestick, they were so far on the third base side, and that dugout was way on the other side of the field. Yeah. Um, or if Rodriguez was on the mound, but I know he wasn't. So the, the, the mate was the umpire was in. Uh, he knew I had the ball, and I just flashed it in my glove to, to Felix, and we pulled it off. <laughs> what did Dusty <laughs> and the rest of the guys say to you when you get back to the dugout? It was pretty great because, you know, obviously there's two outs out of in the third out of the inning, and it, it, you know, it's boshing your rally. But I, I don't know that many guys knew I had the ball, and guys were kind of shaking their head like, what just happened? And I ran off the field, and uh, they, they, thought it was, they thought it was pretty cool, and, and the crowd went crazy. It was a, it was a pack off the candlestick with the Dodgers. I think it was on a Sunday. It, um, it was pretty fun, I have, I have to admit. Uh, before we get to the year 2000 and the new yard, uh, there are some amazing highlights of you making defensive plays at the stick. I can remember one foul ball in particular where uh, you caught it. You completely disappeared into the stands and flew in there. Uh, what, what was going on on that play? And what happened when you went into the stands? What are the fans doing at that moment? Well, Candlestick had the, the most foul territory. Candlestick and, and – um, the old Coliseum over there in Oakland had the most foul territory in baseball. So I'd always loved some foul balls and pop-ups back to my days in high school playing football. And, of course, my dad was a great receiver with the Los Angeles Rams. So we, I always used to work on crazy stuff in the backyard with him. But I loved chasing foul balls down. And I had a, uh, a pretty unique way of doing it that I've, I've relayed to, to other people that they've never realized. And, when a, when a foul ball was hit, I would just turn and run to the crowd, and I would I would look at the crowd the the crowd and who, who was standing and who was getting ready to catch the ball, and I would just run right at them, and then I would look up at the last minute, almost like a, a wide receiver in football. You run hard and you look up at the last minute. So I would just chase it and watch the crowd. I could always tell where the ball was going by who was standing up and who was anticipating catching the foul ball, and uh, the the railing there at Candlestick was only about three or four feet high, so. I um, I just love making those plays. I, I felt if I could steal an out for my pitcher or for the team, it, it helped us out. And I, I loved, you know, going after those things. And, um, nothing much happens when you go into the crowd. People just pat you on the back and, um, you know, they've got their popcorn and their hot dogs and their peanuts sitting there. So it's not a, uh, it's not a very clean sight, but that's – one of my favorite things to do was to just chase foul balls and, and go on the stand. So um, Candlestick was a good place to do it because you could, like I said earlier, you could steal an out. Uh, maybe it's a leadoff guy of an inning. You can steal an out. Or if it's, if it's, there's two outs and it's the third out of an inning, it really picks up your team. You mentioned your dad and, and you going into the backyard and working on different defensive drills. What, what did you guys do? Well, we did a lot. It was back when we were kids, and, you know, we used to be outside all day long playing ball and playing sports. And just, you know, we would work on, on trick plays, and he would throw balls over my shoulder and um, tell me to close my eyes and, and throw a pop-up and then make me open my eyes and go find it and get it. And, you know, that's just what we did as kids. I mean, we had fun. We were outside playing all the time, and, my dad was a great receiver and really taught me a lot about angles and soft hands and, and good feet. And we used to work really, really hard and a lot of hours. We'd go down to the local park, which was in our neighborhood. and He would hit me ground ball after ground ball. 
And uh, we used to play this game. We had a bucket of maybe 20, 25 baseballs, and he would hit me ground balls. And we had this this game. If, if one got under my glove or through my legs, we put all the balls back in the bucket and we started over. And then, and so as I would start getting down to the end, maybe, you know, four balls left, five, you know, three balls left, my dad would start hitting them harder and harder at me. And he was just trying to teach me to get in front of the ball and knock it down. He wasn't he wasn't teaching me to field it cleanly. And uh, so that worked. And that was when that was when it was fun. I mean, he would rifle balls at me, and I'd come home and have red marks on my arms and on my chest. And my mom was like, what the heck are you doing to this kid? And, <laughs> but it, it was all good. You know, we had balls in the bucket. And, and he, he worked with me on, on picking the ball out of the dirt and soft hands and my dad was a really good high school baseball player growing up in Long Beach, California, and decided to go football. But uh, his favorite sport was baseball, and we we just worked hard at it as, when I was a kid. And he'd take me out of the park, and it was all voluntary. He he didn't drag me down there. I wanted to do it, and that was a fun thing about it. And, and uh, we just we just did fun little drills and played little games with each other. And uh, he challenged me, which I think helped me so much in my career. Uh, I love that. I love it. He didn't. Uh, he didn't make you run laps or do push-ups or yell at you. He just made you start over. There, there's nothing exactly. wrong with that. Yeah. He just. It, you know what? We just put the balls back in the bucket and we do it again. And so, I mean, and that happened a lot. I mean, I would get down to one or two balls, and he would hit me a little checker, and it would, it would you know, check up and go through my legs, and we put them all back in the bucket and start over. So, uh, it, it teaches you. It teaches you how to focus, and it teaches you how to, to grind it out. And, uh, it was fun. I enjoyed doing it. He never, ever once a drug said down there and hate me, but it was always like, hey, let's go to the park and let's play the ground ball game or let's go take some batting practice. Or, uh, But it was any sport. We would go shoot basket. You know, we'd play basketball. We'd throw the football around. So it was a lot of fun. All right. The following year is 2000. The Giants opened the new stadium. How does that change things for you guys? Well, we were all excited. Uh playing in a brand new ballpark we all knew that candlestick was not the best facility right the the clubhouse the the training room and um the wind and um it, it it was fun the one thing i will say was when the park first opened it was a different crowd and we knew it i can still remember back we got swept i think our first two series or we lost six in a row at home to open up that ballpark and um it was a different crowd. It was a downtown crowd, and we noticed a lot of people, especially uh, men and, and coats and ties and, you know, dressed up coming from work, and it was quiet. It wasn't the raucous candlestick, 10,000, 12,000 people. Yeah, it was packed, 40,000, but I, early on, the, the 12,000 candlestick was louder than the, the 40,000 at Pac Bell, and it took us a little while to get going. The amenities were great. The field was great. And it took a, a little while to learn the ballpark and the battlefield fences. And I think the, the, the crowd didn't quite know how to react. It was, uh, like I said, a lot of people coming off work and maybe not the hardcore baseball fans. But as the season went on, we got into it. and We started winning. And we, you know, we started bringing out the people. And then it, it, towards the end of the year, it got that, that old school candlestick feel. As a left-handed hitter, I think everyone thought this was going to be home run derby every day at, at the new park, uh, and it clearly was not that. How how did perception and reality differ, and, and what did that mean for you? 
Yeah, I mean, all the left-handed hitters thought that we were just going to be jacking balls, you know, into McCovey Cove left and right. Our numbers were going to go up. We knew that the right center uh, fence was pretty deep at 420. But, um, you know, the other teams came in with a game plan against the lefties just to pitch us away, let us hit it out to left center and make, you know, make us beat them to left field. So uh, had a lot of home runs that year to, to left field. And pitchers didn't really challenge you inside. And I think as the time went on and years went off and they started to realize that it's tough to get it out to right field because that wind blows in through those archways and they would throw the ball middle in and let you hit it out to right center, which was 420. So it, um, it was a tough place to hit. I said that it turned home runs into doubles and doubles into outs because it's just hard to get it up that high and that 25-foot high wall and uh, left-handed hitters' numbers and stats. I I think looking back, I I enjoyed hitting a candlestick for numbers-wise a lot more than that pack because pack belt was just it was a hard place to hit. You most left-handed hitters are not dead pull hitters; were more gap to gap, left center, right center. And I think Barry was probably the only guy to pull the ball in the air down the right field line. So it. Um, it hurt, and it was very frustrating, and I think guys voiced their opinions. And, um, it it hurt a lot of guys' numbers over their careers because if if you didn't hit it down the lines, it was going to either be an out or maybe off the wall but not over the wall. Uh, it's an interesting comment because, of course, you and that right field porch are as synonymous as, as anyone – and mainly right. because of the postseason that that year. So let's let's go to game two versus the Mets in the NLDS and take us through this. Let's start with the Sean Estes injury in the third inning. You guys are up one nothing in the series, uh, but then that takes place. What are your emotions at that moment? Yeah, we were bummed when um, Sean had to come out of the game, um, went into second base, didn't slide, and he he would probably tell you, you know, he should have slid, but rolled his ankle. He's out of the game. And, uh, you know, and, and we're battling. And I didn't start that game because I, I believe Al Leiter started. So Dusty loaded the lineup with right-handed hitters. And uh, ninth inning, our, our bench coach at the time, Ron Wotus, who's still there doing a great job, uh, third base coach now with the Giants, he comes down to me and he says if Ramon's spot comes up, Ramon was Martinez playing second, Jeff Kent moved to first, and, Ramon was up fifth that inning. He said, if Ramon's spot comes up, you got him. I said, okay. And I'm actually down in the batting cage uh, underneath the, the dugout, and uh, Doug Mirabelli, who was a backup catcher, him and I are – this is a true story. We're actually playing home run derby in the batting cage, like from the fifth the fifth inning on. And we're trying to we're trying to see who can launch balls. This is before launch angle and exit speed and all that stuff. So we can tell if you hit it in a certain corner of the cage – you know, that's a home run. So we take like 10 swings and rotate. And then sure enough, the inning unfolds and, and I'm down in the cage with Doug and and Ron's like, you know, you got him. And, and, and Mirabelli tells me, he's like, just go up there and pretend like you're heading off the machine. And so I ended up getting <laughs> up there and I, had, we had scouted Benitez and we knew when he got, we, he got, if he got behind two zero, he always threw like a, a, like a fastball away for a strike. So, Sure enough, I got 2-0 in the count. I moved up on the plate, and I was looking away, and he threw me a fastball, and it kind of 
ran in a little bit and I got out there early and just tried to hook it and uh, hit it down the line for, for a home run. Two and one to Snow. He's set by the right-hander. He kicks, he deals. Snow swings, high fly ball to right. Hit to the corner. Perez chasing to the wall. It's gone! Oh, no! It's gone! Snow has homered and we are tied! I absolutely crushed that ball and it went like two, like one row, you know, over the over the, the wall there inside the foul pole. And I was signaling to stay fair, a little Carlton Fisk. Um, and when it went out, I mean, the place went crazy. And we had uh, we had tied the game. It was a three-run pinch hit. And then the Mets come back in the top of the 10th and score a run. And we got to get on a plane and fly to New York. So it was yeah. it was a pretty cool moment. One of, one of the highlights of my career um, – you always think about him like a pinch hit home run to win a game or tie a game, but it was it was pretty short lived. I, I, I want to stick with this play for just a second, and and, and your reaction that you just detailed there uh, is is very memorable for for everyone, and and because it did just barely make it, it, it was barely fair, it was barely gone, but yeah. your reaction the minute you hit it, I, I think tells such a story. You did you did immediately do the you know the the fair arm and, and yeah. you did kind of walk toward first. So you knew it looked like at least you knew it had the distance to get out. Yeah. Well, it was weird. It, um, I, I wish everybody listening or, or watching that could be in my shoes because when I hit it, it, I, I was trying to two like, Oh count. I was trying to drive the ball in the gap, you know, just keep the inning go. I wasn't necessarily trying to hit home run, but, I hooked it, and when I first hit it, when in in hitting terms, if the ball's a little bit away, you get out a little early, and you kind of hook it with your barrel. The ball was actually it was hooking foul, and so I got way in on that that infield grass. I'm like, just stay fair, just stay fair, and I'm pointing, and all of a sudden, we know the wind comes in from right field there off McCovey Cove and through those archways, and sure enough, the ball was hooking, and all of a sudden, it just straightened out and it fell right out of the sky. And lands and I was I always tell people I go man I crushed that ball like that would have been with no wind you know in a summer night or in beginning of the year I go that ball's in the cove but it goes like one row deep and yeah so it was it was hooking foul and I was I was praying and, and wishing it fair and then all of a sudden it just straightened out and dropped straight out of the sky and uh, we tied the game boom and Bonds and Kent are the two on base what do they say to you when you get to home plate. I, you know what? I don't even remember running around the bases. And I, I look back and I'm like, you know, I wasn't a big celebration guy, but I had my arm in the air. And um, it just, it, and to this day, I have people come up to me like strangers. And I had some friends at the game and uh, people just saying, that's the loudest I've ever heard that stadium. It, even to this day, um, just the, the moment was, was just pretty amazing. And, um, and like I said, I wasn't trying to hit home run. I was trying to get in a good count, get a fastball. And I knew when I got 2-0, because we had studied Benitez and we talked about him in the hitting meetings. When he gets, If he gets behind 2-0, he's going to come with a fastball. He likes to throw a fastball away. And um, just trying to get in a good hitting count, and I got it. And uh, it's kind of the stuff you dream of as a kid, right? You're in the backyard. It's like, all right, you know, bottom of the ninth, hit a home run. To, I wish I would have won the game, but it tied it, right. they come back, and then and the Mets end up beating us. But. Um, they had a pretty good team, and they had some they had some good mojo going that season in 2000. And we had to fly all the way 
you know, back to New York after the game. And I mean, I literally got to enjoy it for, you know, a half hour, an hour after the game because we we actually lost the game. So, uh, but it, it, it was cool. Uh, that said, it's the beginning of a very successful postseason career for you individually. You hit 400 in that series. Your career postseason average is 327. I wonder if there are specific tools or a characteristic you have that allows you to rise to those moments. Well, I I tell people, you know, during the season, it's such a grind, and a lot of guys in, in baseball can – worry about their numbers and, and can get a little selfish and um, there's a lot of games, but you know, when you get in the postseason, it's all those numbers and all that selfishness goes out the window and it's about winning the game that day and doing whatever it takes. And I think I, I I'm proud of myself for being able to, to play my best in the biggest games in the postseason and, I was a 268 career hitter, but in the postseason, like you said, I was 327. And I just had the ability to relax and have fun with it. And a lot of guys, and this goes back with talks that I had with my dad about when he, he played it, he never made it to the Super Bowl in his 11 year career, played three, I think, NFC um, or, yeah, NFC championship games. And he just said, when you get in the biggest moments, the one thing you have to do is just relax and you have to breathe and, you just have to enjoy the moment. Your adrenaline's already going to be at an all-time high. Playing in the postseason is so much different than playing a, a Wednesday night game, you know, in in July. And you just have that energy and that adrenaline, and you just have to enjoy it. You just have to kind of shrink things down and not make the moment bigger than it is. And, and you have to have, have fun and go out and play and, and play the game and do whatever it takes. So I – um I had that ability and I, I, I give my dad all the credit because he taught me how to, to do that in big situations, to relax, to breathe, to visualize, and, um, expect success. And, um, the, the postseason in baseball is like, like no other. It's, it's so much fun. And especially when you get into the world series, you're the only two teams playing. And, and I, I tell people, you, you look at, look at guys that have won the, World Series MVP, a lot of unsung heroes, a lot of guys that are just good players that play the game. And when the moment is big, it's not too big for them. And some of the superstar players feel the pressure and feel the need to perform, but it's kind of those second-tier guys that just are able to let their ability take over and have fun and play the game. So I think that's probably the the what I'm most proud of is that I, I play the best in the biggest situations. And, um, you know, you it's, that's hard to do over 162 games. Like I said, you're, you're trying to grind out a career and you're trying to grind out um, year in and year out. But there's nothing like postseason baseball and there's nothing like the World Series. And I'm, I'm um, happy and honored that I, I got a chance to play in the World Series. We didn't win it, but it's fun when you're the only two teams playing and there's no other teams on the out-of-town scoreboard and the whole world is watching and people get to see what you're all about. Well, let's go to that year. It comes two years later. You're in the playoffs, and maybe I think one of the most underrated moments of your career is the two-run double off Tom Glavin in game one of the NLDS against the Braves. Two and two. Glavin throws to Snow. Swinging a shot. 
fair down the right field line over the bag. Here comes Santiago. He's going to score. Here comes Sanders. He's going to score. Snow puts on the brakes as Sheffield could not dig it out. And JT Snow's got a double in two RBIs. It's 2-0 Giants. That got the scoring started in what ended up being an 8-5 to win. What do you remember about that game? Um, yeah, I like, I remember it was like it's yesterday and I remember still being in the box and, and, and once again, doing, doing the scouting report, uh, I believe I got ahead in, in the count and Tom Glavin was not a pitcher. He was mostly throwing the, the ball away to the hitters, but I was a lefty when I decided to give up switch hitting lefty on lefty. And he had a tendency, if he got behind the count, he would try and sneak a fastball in on you. And I was ready for it. And, and hit it down the, the first baseline for a double and kind of broke the game open. And I just remember everybody taking a big sigh and a little relief because we'd had so, so much trouble getting past that first round in 97, we lost the Marlins and then 2000, we lost to the Mets. We just couldn't get past. And that once we got past that brave series, I think we took a, we took on the Cardinals next, but everybody knew like, Hey, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to go to the World Series. Uh, we're just getting over that first that first hurdle, and then we got we got into the Cardinals and, and beat them. But um, yeah, it was just it was it was a big hit at the right time. And once again, you know, doing doing your scouting reports and knowing what pitchers throw in certain situations, and just being able to relax and capitalize on it and work an account, get ahead in account. I think it was a two zero count or two one count. I knew he would try and sneak a fastball inside on me and uh, kept it fair and then uh that was a great win i remember we had to we had to fly all night we, we lost in san francisco we had to fly that night we got into atlanta at like six in the morning and then we had a night game that that night everybody slept all day and we were really counted out but we, we showed up and won that game and then got to go to the world series well, and that Cardinal series you referenced, I love that you said, you know, we all kind of just knew. You you knew intuitively that you were going to win it, and you did come out and win the first two games on the road. And when a team does that, it, it seems like, well, that's a wrap. Series is over. But the Cardinals come back to San Francisco, yeah. win game three, and then they're up. They're up in game four in the bottom of the sixth, and you step to the plate facing Rick White. The pitch to Snow. Swinging a drive in the left center field. This one is a good ride. This one is way back. It is high off the wall. Kent scores. Here comes Bonds. He scores. This game is tied. I remember that, and um, I think I hit a double to left center, maybe off the wall, and once again get get into a good hitter's count and, and get, get to a fastball. And um, you could kind of feel, like you said, we left. St. Louis feeling pretty good about ourselves up 2-0 and like I said after that Atlanta series we knew we're like we're we're, we're gonna do this you know that we're gonna take care of the Cardinals and, and they win game three and then game four was a little a little uneasiness and you could feel it in the ballpark you could feel it in the fans that oh no here we go again and I was lucky enough to step up and get a big hit there and um get us back in the game and then um yeah we end up I think we won that series uh, four to two, and four to one on to play the eight. Four to one, that's it. Yeah, four, four to one. one. Yeah, two, yeah. The very the next, next night, close it out. You know, and and the thing is, is 
this, we had guys that whole year in that postseason that stepped up and got big hits. And that's a fun thing about the postseason. When it's your time, you know, someone's going to come through and, and you get up to the plate and you just relax and, and try and do what you do. And, um, man, it just gives me chills and smiles just thinking about playing in the postseason because <laughs> everyone's watching. And it's just the, the energy is incredible. I wish everybody could experience it. Well, how would you put into words the next night? Because you guys are talking so much about we're, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, and then the Kenny Lofton hit goes to right, and and you do it, and and you finally are breaking through, and you're going to the World Series. What's that moment feel like for you? It felt it felt great. It just, um, you know, I think when we we felt good for the people of San Francisco, the the, the new ballpark, and it had been since '89 that they got to a world series and, you know, and it was going to be an all California world series. The, the, the one thing we thought, well, man, the travel is going to be great, right? Just a quick hour <laughs> flight down to Anaheim back and forth. And we, um, we truly believe that we were going to take care of this. We were going to, we were going to win that, bring the first world series to the, the city of San Francisco. And um, yeah, we were, everybody was, was pumped and we were on a high and let's, let's get it started. And, um, you know, you go, you go through that series, and I'm, I'm sure your last questions, but it, that was a that was a great World Series for people that didn't don't remember going seven games. It was a, a one of the best of all time. It was amazing. It was uh, it was winding. It it uh, it was filled with so many interesting moments and 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 great hits and and you know great performances. Uh, you of course are mainly remembered for one, and you you know exactly what it is. And I wonder <laughs> why yeah. you think over the years that moment of of picking up Darren Baker has dominated what people remember about you. Two one, ripped deep right field, salmon back at the wall. It's off the wall. Two runs are going to score. Lofton digs for third. He's held there, and it's a six-run Giants lead. Thank goodness that J.T. Snow was aware and got Darren Baker out of the way. Goodness. I think it's just something that never was seen before and will never be seen again, and it's a, it's a three-year-old bad boy that's the son of the manager. and um, To take people through it, I was on third base, and, and David Bell, our third baseman, was on second. Kenny Lofton hits a ball to deep right center I go back to tag up and David Bell's halfway there's one out and uh, the ball goes I think the ball ricochets off the wall and so I just start trotting in I know David's behind me and I saw the play the whole way and I saw Darren run out I knew exactly what he was doing the bat was in the left-handed batter's box and the reason he went out was because I found out later that he and the the senior bat boy were arguing to who gets the bat and Kenny was Kenny Lofton was Darren Baker's favorite player. So right when the ball was hit, Darren just shot out of the dugout. And uh, I knew he was cutting right across Benji Molina, who was a catcher for the Angels, uh, later with the Giants. And uh, I I just, in the back of my mind, I said, this this could be disaster because David was coming in behind me. And I didn't know where the play was developing out behind me. And I luckily – grabbed him by the jacket, stepped on the plate, tried to kick the bat out of the way and, and lifted him up. And then David comes in, uh, right, in, right in behind me. And um, it, it's just one of those things that had never been seen and probably will never, because they've changed the rules now, will never be 
be seen again. But um, Darren uh, doesn't remember what happened. Uh, <laughs> I've seen him since and talked to him, and he has no recollection. And, and it's really cool because I have this picture in my office. It's a three-shot picture, and everybody in the background from the dugout to the there's a picture of the owner's box with Peter McGowan and Larry Bear and all the, and no one's looking at home plate. They're all looking towards the outfield to see if David Bell's going to score and beat the throw. And um, after it was over, no one knew what happened. And then after, of course, you know, you see the replays on the news and stuff. Uh, and all Dusty said was, thank you. Um, you know, thanks. For, and he never even saw it until after he saw the, the replay. So um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a pretty cool deal and uh, something that, even at this day, I'll, I'll go places and people will bring that up, um, you know, 18 years later. Yeah, and, and I, you mentioned that all Dusty said was thank you, and I know a lot of people ask you what did Dusty say. Uh, I want to know what Darren said, or was he, was he just he, shell-shocked? He didn't say a word. I just I looked at him, and I said, are, I still remember, I said, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. And I said, you know what just happened? And he said, no. And I said, okay. And I just shook my head. If you watch the replay, I just shook my head at him. And then I put him down on the ground. He, he, he ran back out to the field to get, to get the bat because the bat was still up the first baseline where, where I had, I had kind of kicked it going across the plate. So I, I had to do a lot of things there. I had to step on the plate, pick him up, and kick the bat out of the way. And, um, it was just – it's one of those things that I think is, you know, is, is timeless. And, and everyone uh, – people remember watching that and they – you know, they, they YouTube it and they bring it up and they're like, that was pretty crazy. Well, uh, what you are humbly not saying right now is that you personally also had a great series. I mean, people don't remember, I think, sometimes you had uh, what eventually proved to be the game-winning home run in game one of that series mm-hmm. off Jared Washburn. Snow waits, here's the pitch. Snow hits a high fly ball, left center field, on the move is Erstad, looking up, out of here! The former Angel, a two-run shot, and the Giants lead 4-1. to one. And the only people cheering in this ball yard have orange and black on. Uh, if Darren Baker stands out to so many others, what stands out to you from the series? Well, there's a couple things, and I, I think that what you just mentioned was, was big for me because it was I, I got to start lefty on lefty in game one, and it was a close game, and Washburn was a tough lefty with a good fastball, and he um, tried to ride a fastball in on me, and I, I hit a home run to, to left center to kind of break the game open. And I think it was in the sixth inning or seventh inning, but eventually was the, the deciding factor. And then um, I also remember about a, a play by the dugout in Anaheim where I, I, they had like that plastic or that rubber track, and I slipped on my back and ended up grabbing the fence and getting up and, and making the play. and. Just um, I remember how good of a series it was. There was each each team blew the other team out one game, and then there was two games that were really tight back and forth. And then game six, of course, uh, I'll remember for the rest of my life being out there at first base with we're in the seventh inning, and I'm like, we got seven outs to go, we have a three run lead, and I'm like, we're, I'm gonna we're going to be the first world champs ever in San Francisco. And I'm going to wear that ring every day. And then, you know, before you knew it, boom, 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 Spezio hits a home run and Erstad leads off the next inning with a home run. And we end up losing the game. And the, the weird thing about that was after game six, I, I vividly remember uh, 
Barry and I walking up the runway because when the game was over, I just took off and I was up the run. Barry and I were the first guys up the runway and the, the clubhouse kids and the, the workers had moved all the furniture and put all the plastic over the lockers in our locker, in our clubhouse. And we walked up there. We were the first ones up there and the kids were scrambling to put the furniture back and roll all the plastic above the lockers. Cause we thought we were having a champagne celebration and uh, we just kind of shook our heads and then you said, Hey, we got to get in tomorrow. You know, we got a game seven and um, that didn't work out. John Lackey was a rookie pitcher with the angels and threw a great game against us. And, and they beat us. And I just remember after the game, everybody was stunned and we got on buses and flew home. And uh, what we thought was, going to be you know we were going to be the, the first world champs ever in san francisco it didn't happen so um i think about that that game six and that whole series that honestly i probably think about it you know once or twice a week or every few days it just pops into your head and because people bring it up and they remember where they were watching that game and i think the the city was ready to go and and ready to let loose but um it didn't happen so but I also feel, and the guys on that team felt like we we set a standard for the teams behind us, and we, you know, we turned the culture around for Giants baseball starting in '97 all the way to '02, and then again we made the playoffs in '03. We lost to the Marlins, and um, so it, it was a it was a good run, and um, man, we we left it all out there. That's amazing that that day that game still pops into your head. Yeah. multiple times a week yeah i i still remember i tell people game six you know and i was i still remember the speed you at bat and he fouled nine nine fastballs off in a row when he hit that home run i was like oh you know we got our hands full now but um that's you know that's sports and that's what makes baseball a great game and uh it, you deal with it and it um it doesn't always come out the way you want and you just deal with it and move on yeah i think for fans of the team 2010 was kind of therapeutic with regard to 2002 but of course it's a completely different group of players was was 2010 therapeutic for you at all seeing as you you are still attached with the organization i I think it was, yeah, I think it was great for the city and the fans. It, it wasn't quite the same. I was doing some coaching and I was around the team and it was fun to see those guys win. And, um, you know, it, it's really cool though, when you, you run into fans and, and you know, diehard Giants fans and even to this day and, and taking nothing away from the pitchers we had, LaVon Hernandez and Russ Ortiz and Kurt Reeder and, and those guys and Rob Nin was our closer, but I have fans come up to me today and go, your team, your offensively, like if, if you had Kane and Lincecum and Mad Bum, you guys would have ripped off a bunch of world series, just like that team. And I said, well, we'll never know. And I, I love the guys that I played with and it's a different time, but uh, it's fun to, to hear the fans say they enjoy, you know, our team offensively, because we had a little bit of a mix of everything with, with Barry and, and Jeff Kent, you know, Reggie Sanders was a big part and Kenny Lofton and Aurelia and David Bell and Benito was behind the plate. And, uh, we just had a good group of guys that played hard and uh, we just came up a little bit short, but you know, 10, 12 and 14 were, were great for the city and the fans. And 
I think that the former players, we feel like we got it going a little bit, and then these guys took it over. Uh, well, you're definitely a forever giant. You're uh, you're one of the special ones for uh, for the entire fan base. I wonder when you look back at everything, how would you answer this? What, what does your time with the Giants mean to you? Well, it means everything um, personally and professionally, I think. And to this day, I um, I give a lot of a, a credit to uh, Brian Sabian and the whole organization. And, you know, for him to, to trade for me, he traded me once from a minor league kid to my hometown and then to show the uh, confidence to trade back for me and, and plug me in there. I, uh, Brian Sabian has always a, got a special place in my heart and what he did for that organization and how he ran that team. And, you know, if, if you remember, uh, I think he called the fans the, the lunatic fringe after he traded Matt Williams away and got Jeff Kent. So he stuck his neck out there with a bunch of guys and, um, you know, prof- professionally and, and personally it, it um, it feels good that, that someone believes in you and and um, he he not only sets you up you know for maybe the rest of your life but sets up your family and your kids and uh, now my you know, kids are getting older and they're starting to, to realize what you know what dad's career was like and what it was like playing in San Francisco and um, but and you know, Peter McGowan and that whole group saving the Giants from moving to Tampa and keeping them in San Francisco because I grew up in Southern California where there's multiple teams, right? You had the the Rams and the Raiders and the Dodgers and the Angels and the Lakers and the Clippers. But when I went to San Francisco, it was the Giants and it was the Niners and those two teams. And I just remember the fan base and um, I'm really glad I got to play a few years in Candlestick to to see what those fans had to endure and it made you a better player. And then to be able to open that new ballpark and see where it's gone from 2000, now 18, you know, 20 years later, it's, it's pretty cool. And um, the giant fans are great. And there's not a day goes by where I'm out somewhere and someone doesn't come up and, and say something, or they remember where they were either at candlestick and the, the candlestick pins on their hats or in the new ballpark. Um, sliding down the Coke bottle or being out in the right field. So it's um, it's a pretty special place, and they do a great job um, with the players and the fans and keeping everybody involved. JT, uh, a fantastic ride to, uh, to hear all those stories uh, through your words. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You got it. Anytime. That was fun. Thanks so much for listening to Inside Giant Moments presented by Oracle. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review and share the podcast with your friends and family. For more exclusive conversations, subscribe to the Inside Giant Moments podcast presented by Oracle now. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.